It's Dr. Seuss Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm here as you, well, wait a minute, I'm not here as usual with my co-host Bliss because Bliss is at a birth and she's on her way to the studio and hopefully she'll make it in time to join us for podcast number 157. That's is podcast number 157. We're happy to have you back with all, with all of you. Uh, check us out at drstewspodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes uh, or your, in, on your podcast app. You can write some reviews, like us, do all the things you're supposed to do with social media. You can email me at askdrstew at gmail.com or bliss at birthingbliss at hotmail.com. Social media, I'm at birthinginstincts. And Bliss is at Birthing Bliss Midwifery. Um, my website is birthinginstincts.com. Bliss's website is birthingbliss.com. There's going to be a quiz later for all of you to re- read that back to us, okay? So anyway, this is, uh, this is an unusual thing for me because uh, I'm usually not the only person in the studio. So I have brought in some special friends of mine uh, for our second annual uh, Halloween podcast. Uh I have with me today uh, the parents of lovely twins and, a, and an older child as well, and they're going to tell us a little bit about it. I have Andrew and Linda Bruininga. Hi. <laughs> Yo, that's <Yo>. Bruininga. <laughs> and um, they're here to tell us a little bit about their story because it's a rather interesting story. I might have mentioned it uh, briefly on a previous podcast, but... Some, we all have experiences um, when we give birth and we have, you know, at home, in the home birthing world, we tend to be with our babies and they're never separated from us, which is how mammals are supposed to give birth. And it's one of those things that we think is very valuable, the skin to skin time and the bonding time. And it helps to uh, regulate their temperature and regulate their blood sugar and regulate their heart rate and breathing and all that sort of thing. But every now and then, um, there's a reason that, that babies need to be born in the hospital and um, that they often will end up going to the NICU. And I don't think we've ever had a podcast uh, in my memory that we've really talked about the NICU. I, I remember one story where we had a woman who delivered and a baby was transferred to the NICU and she got a little bit of shaming from one of the nurses there. And she had the wisdom in, in, amidst all her tears to say to the, to the nurse, um, well, there are 15 babies in the mid in the NICU. Where did the other 14 come from? Um, so that's about the only time I think I've ever mentioned the NICU. And NICUs do great things. And this podcast is not simply to to um, tell you the, a nightmare story for Halloween, but it's also to just because uh, I want to reassure people that the NICUs are very valuable. But they have rules and procedures and policies sometimes that 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 are there for no and no one can say why. So with no, with no further ado, I'd like to bring you guys back in and tell us a little bit about, first of all, tell us who you are and about your first pregnancy and uh, all, you know, just give us a little bit of background. Sure. Um, my name is Linda and my husband is Andy's right here. And we, uh, we were pregnant with our first daughter and we heard about midwifery from good friends of ours. I honestly had no idea what midwifery was. And then, of course, we watched The Business of Being Born, and then we were hooked. We found an awesome midwife, and we had, I mean, my pregnancy was pretty textbooked. I had no pregnancy symptoms. Sorry, moms out there, but it was very easy. And then my labor was textbook, 22 hours from first contraction until she was born, you know, transition period, the whole deal. I pushed her out in four pushes, and we had her at the birthing center with our Awesome midwife Robin Poole. Out, did um, you? Did you? You say that you didn't even th- know what a midwife was, or something no. like that. So you didn't have a vision growing up as a young woman or whatever else of saying, "I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to do this at home. I'm going to do this." This wasn't something that you thought of. No, not at all. In fact, I mean, I probably would have just had it in the hospital had I not heard about midwifery. But I feel like. My husband and I are both the kind of people that we like to do things differently. So when we heard about our friends' home birth stories, we knew, wait a minute, that's something that we are really interested in trying out. Um, so you didn't really think about pregnancy at all until you were pregnant? Correct. Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden, everyone around you is pregnant. Everybody's pregnant. It's sort of like if you buy a Mini Cooper, then all of a sudden you notice all the Mini Coopers driving down the street. But it, before that, you never thought about well, it. Well, also, though... There were other things that happened in our lives, other hospital visits that everybody has had where it's like, um, 
do you really want us to get better or is this a diff is there a different reason what that we're here or you're telling us to do certain things so those kind of steered us away from the hospital model of the what you call the one size fits all model yes and so then when we started hearing about the midwife or midwife i was like okay I, this sounds like we're I don't is that something go to that you can that you can share with us as to sort of without getting too personal the other but, stuff that happened? yeah the sort of the stuff that you experience because i think I, i've shared with the audience sometimes that you know uh, that my both my parents i think you know they were old and and they were and they had things but i think that there were mistakes made in the hospital in their last days of their lives no yeah no way yeah no <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i had a you sound just like me <laughs> yeah, you have kin- a cynical gene i think kindred yeah. spirits yeah. over here yeah so you know it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about your you know your background as to you know, just you just a couple differences because things. a lot of people hear about midwifery or they see the business board and it doesn't register with them that they're going to suddenly say, "Yeah, that's for me." But you just but you thought that's for you, and also you, or at least Andrew's telling us a little bit that he had some experiences. That well, I could do first one, then Linda could tell about hers. My my dad had a, a little bit of a heart issue, which he says it wasn't a heart issue, but he went to the hospital one night after he had ate like a loaf of bread or something like that, and his his uh, back was hurting and so he went to the hospital long story short they then rushed him to another hospital and they wanted to do a quadruple bypass that night and he was like he's very cynical and against <laughs> against it as well so he's like tends to work that way actually. yeah uh, whole family came and was there with him and he's like get me out of here this is i feel like this is a uh, a cattle hurting thing they they've pushed like 10 people through here to do quadruple bypasses i know nothing happened in my heart I had a little bit of a, whenever you exercise, you have extra stuff that builds up in your heart. What's the, the enzymes or the, anyways, there's some parameter they use to say that it was a heart attack. So. Oh yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's muscle, it's muscle breakdown products. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So he was probably being a little stubborn, but anyways, this is seven years ago. He then went to another cardiologist. We got him out of the hospital. He's changed his diet and he's lost like 30 pounds and he's healthy and his everything's fine. So that right there was the thing of like, okay, well, should we have done what they said? But at the same time, he was also coming off of a cold. So it was like, you want to open him up and he's sick. That can introduce a number of infections. So why would we do that? So, so they really wanted to admit him and, and do surgery on him? That night. Like they were, the reason they didn't is because we were coming, the family was coming to say, hey, what's going on? And well, I think that people that listen to me know that when I, whenever it's possible, unless it's an actual dire emergency, I'm a big fan of second opinions. And 100%, e- yes. And even third opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much misinformation out there. We've talked about this before, that, that, and that there's so much information that's not vetted or you have no way of knowing the veracity of it when, when, people, when you read about it or people tell you it. And, and obviously, you know, I'm cynical from experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I was born a cynic. But because uh, my father was one of the sweetest, nicest, trusting people of all time, and mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not, <laughs> so uh, I just think that that the that people need to have this skepticism when they hear something that doesn't seem to ring true with their common sense meter. Yeah. you know, everyone has a, a common sense meter, and if your father was perfectly healthy and then had one little thing that happened to him, to suddenly think that you know you need to go to surgery right away. Right. right, and it was it was more of a thing of the shaming of like, well, you need to do this right now, and he would be like, I I don't think that's something I really want to do, and it was almost where they didn't value his own opinion. You know, it's his body. You know, he wants to do what he wants to do, and I even told him that I said, look, Dad, it's your your decision. I'm your oldest son. If it's your body, you're going to do what you want to do with that thing. So if you want to have the surgery, cool. If you don't, then we'll do what we can to get you out of here. And that's and that was his choice. But the hospital was more like shaming, and no, you need to do this right now. You need this right now. AKA give us a hundred thousand dollars and that's that. And it's like, okay, well, I understand we all have to make some money and whatever, but he was he he, he felt a whole different route. Yeah, I mean I, I hear this all the time that people yeah. go to the hospital say with a previous previous cesarean section in labor or they go with a breech baby in labor and and they say, Well, I, I uh, the doctor will say to them, Well, I, I can't do a breech delivery because my hospital won't allow it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Well, is the hospital like your master? Is it telling you what to do? Yeah. Um, I know that the, I know that puts the doctor in a, in a tough position sometimes, but the idea that that the word allow should ever enter into a conversation of informed consent. I mean, I'm not going to allow you to do that mm-hmm. or uh, it should should not happen. So, OK, so you have so that, that. that and pr- you probably had other experiences as well. I did. But Linda also had a bike accident that she had. Yeah. But I mean, I. I had this bike accident, bicycle accident, and they rushed me to the hospital 
we didn't. We drove us there. And then when we got there, they were like, oh, triage and took me to the emergency room and didn't really fully take into account that I was talking to them cognitively. And they rushed me into this, you know, protocol of how they treat bicycle accidents. And then at the end, they wanted to do all these tests, which they did. And uh, they said, oh, you just have a bruise. And about three days later, my shoulder really hurt. And a girlfriend of mine who works with, you know, she's a medical sales. She's like, let me get you in to see my guy. And when I walked in, he goes, oh, no, you separated your shoulder. And I can pull up your x-ray from this hospital right now. And, and you cracked a rib. So we just have had a couple of these experiences where, you know, I think we're trained maybe in this, I don't know, country now to just trust what the doctors tell us i think that's changing but yes, yeah yeah i do for agree. a long time it went on i mean so, i think our parents generation right they trusted whatever the doctor said i mean i still remember commercials where they said you know 80 percent of doctors prefer winston cigarettes <laughs> 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 okay i mean people my age probably remember those commercials you guys don't remember them but i remember them they, so, were, they were on tv and so and because the doctor would be wearing a white coat smoking a cigarette and telling you that that winston's are the are the proper brand and people believed it but wow. now, and now there's because of social media and because of the internet and because everyone in their pocket carries all the information in the, the in the entire world with them that there's that there's going to be more questioning and I think the medical profession hasn't caught up with how to figure out what to do with that sort of information. Right. So after just talking back to my daughter's birth or before why did we decided to go with the midwifery route uh, it was just the hospital didn't seem like a place to give birth for me. I, it just I equated it to scary things happening in hospitals, diseases, you know, people being hurt, whatever. I didn't want to bring my daughter in there. But, and there's nothing wrong with it. I know a lot of people who do, and they have different experience. But well, I think our audience understands this completely. They right. understand that that normal birth is not a medical exactly. problem, yeah, and, a- and and doesn't necessarily need to be in the hospital. As a matter of fact, you're you're more, far more likely to end up with interventions and and. Uh, and uh, uh, an adverse outcome by being in the hospital for the 85 or 90% of women who are normal. Right, and even though I was a geriatric pregnancy because I was 35 years old when <laughs> I had my daughter, um, everything worked out great. You got all the, you got all the cliches and risk oh, factors man, down. everything. <laughs> okay, but so this, but, but your second pregnancy wasn't normal. No, so it started off normal. I felt the exact same way as I did with my first, which was, you know, again, no symptoms. I barely knew, you know, I knew I was pregnant because I didn't have a period, but I wasn't sick. I wasn't tired, but I tend to be a sleepy person anyway. And because of that, we, it's true. Yeah. Uh, because of that, we decided, you know, we don't need to do the eight week, you know, ultrasound or the 12 week because I felt fine. And we were just waiting for that 20 week to see the baby. And we go in and well, there's two of them. <laughs> and you had no idea. We had no. no idea. So how, so did you go in to see a, a physician where you had, a, was it a tech that, that, uh, so was it a tech that was scanning you? Or my was midwife sent us out to a physician out in our area, and he had done the same 20-week scan for my daughter. So this time around, he got a real good kick out of telling us it was two. And in fact, he made us record him while we told him, uh, which we have it on our phone, and it's really funny, the video of him saying... So that's great, because you know <laughs> one of the freaky things for me is when a tech is doing a scan on you, they're not allowed to talk to you. Right. Mm. So when people go in and sometimes a tech does the scan and they find twins, it's like, I'll be right back. I have to go get the doctor. And it's like for, for, for 30 seconds, you're what's going on? No, no. Oh, that would have been scary. Yeah, that yeah. would be really scary. No, yeah. he told us right away and he thought it was hilarious to inform us that we were having two babies. So then, you know, he jumped in, which obviously he's thinking, okay, they're going to go with me. Even though our midwife referred us to him, he said, okay, I'll see you in four weeks. And then you know, we'll proceed with care this way. And we were so shocked at, okay, now what does this mean? Because we were going to have our home birth this time. We had it with the birth center last time, but we really wanted to do a home birth this time. And what twins now meant for our plan. Um, so our midwife, same midwife that uh, we use for my daughter, uh, she said, well, we have a couple options. Do And the one question she asked me was, do you want a vaginal birth? And I said, yes. And she goes, okay, well, now our options really have narrowed down to one. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the other option she was going to offer you? Uh, well, if we were... Mexico okay. <laughs> or India. 
<laughs> she was going to fly us out. No, uh, basically twins. She knew that if vaginal, if we weren't stuck on a vaginal birth, we could have just gone to the hospital, used the doctor, and they would section us. And the doctor who did our ultrasound said, okay, well, I'll allow you to go to 38 weeks, but nothing past that. There's and that word again, by the way. Yeah. Allow. allow. And, he did it, and he did say it like that, right? I don't think he said the allow word, oh. but I mean, it was in, inferred that that's yeah. what it was. At 38 weeks, he's going to induce. Right. Yeah. Uh, so our one option, we came to you. Would he, would he have induced if one of the babies was breech or even both of them were breech? We didn't or get that far because that we far. knew, because we had already had our daughter with, the midwife model that we weren't going to go with him for the twins, most likely. So, so we, we tried to it. interview other OBs, but because I was already now at this point, I'm 23 weeks. A cup, none of them, they wouldn't even see me because my care was so far into the pregnancy. Uh, two of them said, "No, we can't take on new patients." One said, "Well, you need to send me over all of your medical records for me to review them before I can even decide if I can do this." And I go. Can't anybody just sit down with a consult and tell me? I wanted to ask, you know, a couple basic basic questions. How far will you let me, you know, again allow me to go? Uh, will you deliver vaginally? And what if twin A or twin B is breached? Then what's the protocol then? But they wouldn't even sit down and see me. Yeah, this is baffling to me. This is a baffling thing, and I've heard it in many consults in my office. I've heard people say that that I that the doctors won't take me after a certain point. You're only 23 weeks, and you've had prenatal care. Right. What if you just moved here from Cleveland? I, well, I guess they want the Cleveland records. I don't know why well, it's even th- relevant. Fine, they can have the records, but right. but to say that the, I need the records before I'll even see you? No, I'll see you, bring the records, or even fax them ahead of time, and we'll have a talk, we'll have a consult. That That's sort of, that's a second nature to me. I mean, that's just, that's how I would think that, that physicians are supposed to react, because it's not about them. Yeah, I mean, it's very frustrating because we were really trying to do our homework and what to do, even though in the back of my mind, I always knew, well, Stu, that's where we're going, because of course, Robin told us, and we had heard about you, and we had met you before, because we met you, um, we did a 30-week, 35-week scan for my daughter, just to make sure she was, you know, head down and everything was good. And she sent you to me for that, just because Yeah, we had the option to do it, and we wanted to go, and you know, we wanted to meet you. Uh, so yeah, then we came on. Did board. I say anything stupid then? No, no, okay, no, <laughs> no but a lot since. Been <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm famous for that sort of stuff. Put that mic near your mouth so I can hear you uh, laughing. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, so no, we started I, our I care with you then about I don't know twenty four weeks in, and you didn't ask us for uh, <laughs> our medical records before. <laughs> no, in fact, in fact, our first time you were very optimistic. You're like, you know what? I don't know everything until 35 weeks, 36 weeks till the you know game time decision. But I can already, I already have a pretty good feeling this will be a, a great candidate for my style of birth or a natural birth. Period. Well, and and I said that partly because you were you already had the right mental stuff. You were mm-hmm. already a home birth family. You already had a previous vaginal delivery. And my success rate with breaches and twins with a woman who's already had at least one baby vaginally before is way up in the high 90s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm very comfortable and confident of that. And as long as the criteria were simple, they were just as long as baby A is what I call a, a stable longitudinal lie is, what, is the term that I use. So that means either head down or a proper breach presentation, then there's no really no reason, not, none in the, even in the literature that says that, and even ACOG, the American College OBGYN, supports um, breach first twin vaginal delivery. So there was really no reason to believe that you were going to be one of those rare cases where you have a cord presenting or a, or a transverse live or twin. It just doesn't uh-huh. happen. It's so rare. So, and, yeah. the, and the boys did that. I mean, baby A was head down from the beginning and, you know, B was breech, but in a good, you know, position and they stayed there the whole time. Right. So until one day. Well, we'll get to that <laughs> in a second. But, but I, th- I think that, that, the reason that you said what you said, uh, uh, we, we, there was a very good mutual feeling, and and that's and that's so important, and that's why when when somebody says, well, I I have to review your records before I'll talk to you or something like, just like, no, 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 you talk to people first. Mm-hmm. That just seems makes it makes much more sense to me. Uh, I know that the the really good doctors I know and the good midwives I know, they will never say no to interviewing anybody, and even if it's just just uh, seeking information, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't give a consult to somebody because you think that they might not come into your practice. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Nope. Anyways, it, and a, and a, it pig piles on sort of the some of the nightmares that are that are coming. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> that the whole your whole experience with the what we would call the medical industrial complex or the or the you know traditional. I guess not traditional. Yeah, the MIC, Medical Industrial Complex. Yeah. Let's start that. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Okay, that's what, we'll, well, that's what we'll use. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're, you're humming along. I think I only saw you a couple of times because you were having some of your prenatals with Robin because she lives closer to you. Right, yeah. It's a schlep to come to Century City from where you guys live. So. Yeah. Uh, and Little did I know that you uh, <laughs> actually live across the street from the feed store where I get my, <laughs> I know. Where I get my, my horse supplies for my horses up in Agoura. So it, it was... Um, it was uh, Surprising when I when we came to do a, a visit uh, back at the house afterwards, yeah. and, and I thought you live here. This is where you live. <laughs> like, so anyway, part of I, the drove, deal, I drive by your house probably three times a week. Part of the deal of doing a delivery with Stu is he's going to give our kids horseback lessons uh, when they turn seven. Is that what it was? <laughs> You're going to teach them how to ride horses. Yeah, yeah. If I'm still living in Los Angeles at <laughs> oh, that boy. time, yeah, we'll talk about that yeah. another, another podcast. That's another. <laughs> that's for another podcast. Uh, okay. So you, you're chugging along. Yeah, my my pregnancy continued to be uneventful, and then um, on the night of what was it, thirty three weeks and five days, I went to bed and woke up in the middle of the night because I had to pee, you know, like every five minutes. But this time, like every night, like every night. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, but this time it wasn't, even though I didn't realize that until later, and I, you know, laid back down and. Proceeded to dream contractions, I guess. I, I'm sure mom's out there like, get out of here. You didn't even feel this. I did feel it. I know that I was laboring, but my mind didn't know that I was, if that makes any sense. I didn't accept that I was, you know, in labor or contracting. And so at 5.30, I told Andy, you know, something is different. Something feels weird. And he said, you know, you need a text to and Robin. So I did. <laughs> Um, and you called right away and said, uh, you need to go to the hospital Yeah, because I was too early and my, did you, did you, was your water leaking too? My water broke. Mm. That was did the, you say, did you say that or did I miss that? No, no. I, I, I didn't realize that that oh, okay. had been my water breaking because with my daughter, it didn't really happen that way. So I don't know what the sensation was of, Oh, water breaking. Yeah, I just thought I'd pee myself. That's, uh, that was, I should have known that too. You said you came in, you're like, uh, I just peed, but I, I couldn't control it. And I guess that means your water breaks, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, sometimes <laughs> you pee without controlling it. But, but yeah, for the most part, the, the assumption would be that if you were having cramps and crap, right. and then suddenly you're peeing uncontrollably, it's mm-hmm. probably, and you don't feel yourself, your bladder contracting, you know, right. you can feel the urine passing through your urethra. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So right. this was definitely water breaking. Yeah. And so when you, uh, called us back right away, cause I sent you a lovely picture. <laughs> um, oh, maybe I'll put that on the, uh, on the podcast <laughs> website. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> then, uh, we started to co- sort of kick in like, okay, what's plan B? And I remember you asking, well, but what's... You're, you're, you were contracting Well, yeah, I, pretty inten- I pretty told regular, you yeah. 10 minutes apart and Andy said, no, these contractions are not 10 minutes apart. So we started formulating a plan B right on the spot because I'd never really entered in my mind that I would need a plan B because, of course, I was going to have my baby's at home. Why wouldn't I? And you would have, and it would have been easy at home, too. Exactly. Based on what, what, what's coming. Yeah, the, or, the next 100%. part of the story, right, yeah. So you uh, gave us two options, uh, two different hospitals. One was geographically a little further away, and then you found a colleague, old colleague of yours that agreed to sort of, because the plan was, let's see if we can stop the labor so that we can buy ourselves you know, two more weeks to be able to do the home birth. Right. Um, so we decided to go that option, and we drove to... You know, we can say it. Okay, we drove to Oxnard, drove right. to St. John's, um, rolled up about what time? Seven. S- Seven a.m. So my water broke one thirty a.m. We rolled up at 7 a.m. The nurses were like, oh, you know, so sweet. You're going to have a baby. And S- <laughs> go ahead. And just so having done the midwife model and coming in and seeing eight nurses handling one person who's kind of going through labor, and well, going through labor, and then in the triage room. It was really interesting that it took that many people to do what basically Robin at at Push was doing 
with her helper is like, why is this many people? This is so stressful. I don't understand why we have to go through this. You guys, See, there's they, so many I don't, people I don't just think causing they, so I many. don't think they look at it as stressful. No. And I don't think that... And they were super nice. Let yeah, me just no, say, they were very I, nice. They're, they're, they're very nice. I, I think that part of it probably is they maybe not were, were not very busy. And, mm-hmm. and, you're, and you're walking in with premature twins. Mm-hmm. And they knew that, right? Well, they found out as soon as we got there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. okay. So um, they're all helping each other out. I mean, I think that, that that's that's a very very normal thing. But it does feel like a, a like a swarm come yeah a swarm yeah. coming in. Yeah. Well, from what sudden. Andy tells me, I have no idea what's going on. Obviously, mm-hmm. I just remember the on call doctor because the doctor that now is taking over our care wasn't there yet. He was en route. Um, yeah, we can. We, and by the way, I'll just I'll just give him a shout out. Yeah, because yeah. Because he's one of the, the most talented physicians in Ventura County, Terry Cole, and he's one of the only people that will you know do a breach, in case Baby B was still breached or whatever else. Everyone else probably would have that you would have gone to. If you would have gone to Los Robles or any place else no, locally, no you probably would have had a cesarean section. Yeah, we. So I knew that Terry would do it, and the fact that he was available and had he jumped at it. And even though he has a weird sense of humor, um, <laughs> definitely can tell he was a colleague of yours. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, he's a super nice guy. No, yeah, and he did, and, and so he was, he was on, he was on, he was on it. So he was going to meet you there, or he was going to. I think he was didn't expect you to be going as fast as you were, or I something. Don't think so I think you wanted did. to wait for the call right. from the hospital first to see if he really needed to come yet. Correct. But he had called ahead and told him, "Yeah, I think you were coming." That sort of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah. So the doctor that was still there she said okay we're going to do a vaginal exam is that okay yes uh, and nice that she asked she did she was very nice last year's Halloween story yeah <laughs> they, Ooh, they yeah. didn't, they didn't ask right, yeah. um, so she asked if I had to you know clear out my bladder before and I said yes and so they wheeled me into the bathroom that was just in the admitting area I the mean, triage room okay triage so we weren't in L&D yet and I sit down I pee and I tell Andy uh, I'm not gonna make it and he said what i said no we have to postpone this so Stu can do the birth right and i said oh no the baby's coming out now and he said no he's not and i go yeah he is you can feel his head and andy put his head down and i literally pushed out baby mads on the toilet (laughs) in the (laughs) triage just just the two of you (laughs) yeah just the two of us (laughs) so tell us what happened i mean did you like did Andy run out in the hallway and call a nurse? Well, or what he, yeah. he yeah. caught him first, so he did not fall in the water. Everybody asked. No, he did not hit the water. Um, and then I grabbed him, and Andy yelled for help. And I caught him, <laughs> put him on Linda's chest, because I'm like, okay, skin to skin. And then, you know in Ghostbusters when you get slimed? <laughs> yeah. That's what my hands felt like. So now I'm trying to get through two different metal doors, and my hand's slipping. I can't open these doorknobs. I'm like, help, help, help. <laughs> so then the li- the nurses are all out in the main uh, area where they huddle and um, so clearly you didn't you clearly you could not have looked like you were in booming labor if they let you just wander off to the bathroom by yourself they, uh, sh- they brought her in in a wheelchair from the parking lot so they no, I think that's they, standard but okay, I, that could right. be standard operating I mean I wasn't making eye contact with anybody I don't know I, I guess I'm a very quiet birther I don't mm-hmm. really okay. talk much so and I don't she yell really tough too. I don't yell I don't do anything I just internalize everything so and, and you weren't making, you weren't making uh, no noises, no. nothing. Sounds, I just sort of go inward. So Andy has to interpret for me. And we learned this from just having our one daughter before, which was the same sort of thing. I like quiet. Don't ask me any questions. Leave me alone. Sort of birthing. How old, how old is your oldest? Daughter? She is 19 months now. Okay. So yeah. they just wanted people to know that. They, yeah, they're, they're little. They're they, still. Yeah. They're, you've got a, you've got yeah, a, a lot thing going, going on. on there. <laughs> the house. So the nurses came in and they were shocked to see a baby in the bathroom with the parents um, and everybody now is well you saw you tell them this part because I don't remember it what part just what happens from now oh on? well then yeah then we put her they put her in the bed in the triage had Mads do skin to skin a little bit and then well how'd they get her from the bathroom the I walked oh, you just the, the the yeah <laughs> holding the baby attached to the placenta in my <laughs> yeah it was body I wish I had a picture uh, yeah I wish I had a, that on film would have been great <laughs> And so then she's laying in the, so as she's walking from, we were trying to pick out the two names and one of them was Mads, which is a Northern European name, but it sounds like mad, you know, for us. So as she's walking, she still has the other baby in her. She's doing contractions. She's like, she's staring at me. She's like, that one we're going to call Mads because he's crazy. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, let's worry about the other one first. So get, she gets on the bed, they prep her up. And so right at that moment, mm-hmm. this is where it starts getting a little bit more annoying is they start referring to this other room, which is an operating room, I yeah, guess, but room, right. it's called the C-section room. 
And that's what two, at least two of the nurses called it. And so I started getting really upset because this was not our birth plan at all. My birth plan was Linda give birth to the kids, <laughs> me and Stu have whiskey in the backyard. So that was that not was what was the birth plan. I yeah. remember we talked was, about that. It was going to be glorious. So it, that wasn't happening. And so I know Linda is, we want to do no C-section. Totally natural. The first one came out, no problem, quote unquote. So they start prepping her, C-section, C-section. I started using profanity saying, do not call it a C-section. We are not doing a C-section here. Can everybody please repeat after me, no C-sections today. We're not doing that. And they're like, oh, well, we just have to, um, for formalities. And I get it now. Well, In let me, either moment, it's different. Yeah, let me stop for a second. Just remember exactly sure. where you are. Um, the standard operating procedure in a hospital for twins is to deliver them in the operating room. That's, yeah, I don't think we knew that. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, it's, it's a foolish thing mm-hmm. because if... They, I, I assume they think that if you suddenly need a C-section, they can just do it there. Right. But the, 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 but that's the same thing with you doing a singleton baby down the hall. If they can get you from down the hall for a singleton baby, they can get you down the hall for twin babies. So why would they move you from this, this like nice little private room to this you know the stainless steel, bright lights, other room? But that's sort of every hospital I've ever worked at, they have a policy or a protocol that says twins need to be delivered in the operating room as opposed to every other baby which is delivered in what's called the LDR, the labor delivery mm-hmm. recovery room. So so they were calling, even though they might have, you know, you're saying that they were thinking about possibly doing a C-section. Did they know it was breach? Did they know the position of the baby or they didn't even know I don't know think yet? anybody knew that because nobody knew our status. Only Cole so they were just, did. Only Cole. Yeah, and so he they, was not there yet. Yeah, and so they just were probably thinking that this is where you're going to have this baby one way or another. Right. But they kept using the term operating room without any thought that you know, or C-section room, which is... They said C-section Again, room. it's, it's, thing, it's almost a knee-jerk thing. They're not really thinking about what the words coming out of their mouth sound like to somebody who's not... Mm-hmm. Or like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If they keep saying C-section, you guys are pushing for that. Of course, that's what people are going to be gearing towards. And that's that's why I had to be like, no, we're not doing that, you guys. So they... Well, yeah, I, I salute you yeah, for they, doing that. So then they put up. us on our, they gave me the scrubs and everything. I'm, I've heard stories from other people. I'm just like, oh, I know what this means. They, so I put my scrubs on. She was already wheeled into the room. I had to go find her. And they start doing the iron cross thing. They put that little black thing to hold her arms out. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what that was, but we have video of it. And when we showed our friend, she's like, you know, they're prepping her for a C-section right there. And I was like, oh my gosh, I I, I would have lost it if that happened. <laughs> well, like, She just gave birth on the toilet. There's one more in there. Can we at least maybe think it's going to be okay, you guys, instead of having 10 of you in here running around, causing all the stress? Um, did, did, did they check the heartbeat on the... On the on they did, and he was fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All the more reason that they don't need to be rushing. No, everything mm. was fine, and the doctor finally came um, in, you know, after scrubbing in and everything, and he said, okay, let's, you know, deliver the baby. And Is this Dr. Cole? Yeah, Dr. Cole, oh, so yeah. He, he's yeah, now. he's okay. there now. Uh, he was shocked that... One had already come out <laughs> while he was in route. Um, so we... You know, that means he only gets to bill for half the birth, then, right? Yeah. Really? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. We get a discount? Yeah. Um, so sure, you, yeah. You should get, you should, the insurance company should pay you for yeah. catching the first one. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so we, you know, he was sitting, not sitting there. I, I mean, two contractions later? Maybe. There were... Five minutes into it. Yeah. The next so one Mads was born at 7.15. Luke came out at 7.30. And that was, you know, after toilet, moving rooms, and getting everything prepped. So and how did Luke come out? Uh, head down. So okay, he so did end up flipping after Mads came out. Uh, so that was good. And yeah, that was how they were born. Cole even said it during during the birth on the video. Um, he said... Let's all thank the baby. He turned in there. He came in head down. He was he was breached, but we'll thank the baby for coming out head first. But I was like, <laughs> but yeah, he, that was Stu talking. But Terry Terry would have reached up and got him if he yeah, had. To go. yeah. Terry could have got Terry. Terry, was Terry could do that. Yeah, he knows, yeah. how, he knows how to do that. So, okay, so now you have two babies. Correct. Which well, we don't. Well, we well, don't know where they're at now. <laughs> okay, so let's take a deep breath because mm-hmm. now we're going to get into the 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 real meat of the story mm-hmm. here and the part that that. You really want? I really wanted to have you on because I think your story is something that a, a lot of listeners are have experienced, and they and and let's just get to it. So, so Andy, uh, you both of you guys, I mean, but you, Linda's coherent at this point during the birth was tough, but she remembers kind of. Well, what's going on. I think, like you said, let's start off by saying the NICU is a place where babies go that truly need help to, you know, live, live and thrive and 
the nurses and doctors there do a great job. My babies were, our babies were born uh, five, seven, and five, six with APGAR scores of eight and nine. Eight and nine. So from what I know is that's a pretty good and healthy babies. However, by the time... It's really, it's really good size for 30... Th- yeah, four, for 30, 34 weeks. 34 basically. weeks, yeah. yeah. By the time I was done delivering and, you know, sewn up and everything, they let me know that the babies were in the NICU. And I thought, okay, I don't really know why or what that means. Standard operating procedure. Right. Right. And now... For preemies, that's... Right. Mm-hmm. So right. we know now that, you know, the word preemie sort of puts you in a different lane. Um, even though still in my head, I guess I, I was having a hard time wrapping my head around that this had all happened, right? So I'm still in this haze of, wait, my birth plan went out the window and now... This, <laughs> well, in a matter of hours, yeah. this is, the whole thing went up in smoke. And right? so Andy had to do a lot of sort of the, I don't know, decision and making and just level-headedness because I had no idea really what was going on. So also Robin did respond to the birth and she got there just after Cole had got there because this all happened so quick. Mm-hmm. So Robin showed up, our midwife, who's going to be working with y- yourself, um, showed up, but the kids had come out. And so once they come out, it's immediately taken kind of, I don't want to make it paint, a, paint a horrible picture, but like a vulture coming in and grabbing something, they were taken to the NICU. So Robin could not, she's like, where are the babies? We need to get them out right now. It's like, we're going to the NICU and we find out they're already stuck. They got their tubes down their nose and whatever else they're doing. And so at that point, it's virtually impossible to take them. Would that have been the right decision? I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. But from what yeah, was I going mean, on, we, everything none, was fine. We, none of us really know the details of the baby's vital signs or the O2 saturations mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. So, you know, I mean, even though your babies were five, five, almost five and a half pounds each, mm-hmm. they're still premature. Their lungs can still need a little bit of uh, right. help. Their maybe their surfactant isn't great. They're not going to have severe respiratory stress like distress like a 26 or 28, 29 weeker might. But they, they, they need they sh- they could be observed, but the question, the question exists in the future. Are we going to be able to observe them while they're in your room on your chest? Can't they be have their little foot monitors on and all that other stuff in, in, and be in the same room as you and not have the separation? Because everything that they think can go wrong with a baby is more likely to go wrong with the baby when they're, when they're separated from their mother. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, and this, so is, this is what happens. Yeah, this yeah. is just day one of them being admitted. And, uh, you know, we still have our. So, daughter. what's the date? What's the date on that? The date the is. The birthday. Oh, August 23rd. All right. So, we're August 23rd is the day they were right. born. Okay. So, we're day one. So, day one, you know, my Andy has to go home because we have a, you know, a toddler at home. And so, I stay at the hospital overnight and I get to come visit the boys and, you know, the NICU anytime. But at this point, by the time I go in there, I mean, they're both in incubators. They have all this stuff hooked up to them. You know, the the feeding tube, the oxygen tube, the little stickies on them, all these monitors, all these cords. And it's pretty scary thing to see when that's not what you were expecting, you know. Um, Especially when your first was a home birth. And right. seeing how smooth everything goes, then mm-hmm. you see this like, whoa. Well, and also, I mean, in my mind, the labor went pretty easy. So, I mean... Mm-hmm. It was painful, obviously, it but it went pretty fast. <laughs> I thought it was easy, too. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> so day two, they start, the doctors come in to see us, and they're starting to talk about antibiotics, and we're wondering, well, what is, why are you giving them antibiotics? Well, we give them antibiotics as, you know, a preventative measure in case they get sick. And I go, I- I'm confused. So you're giving them medicine before they get sick? Well, we... You know, we have to run these tests, and if they come back, you know, that they are sick, then we've already started the antibiotics. So it was it was kind of a back and forth with the doctor on, I don't understand this medicine before they're sick thing, but... Well, and w- the theory behind it, if you want to, yeah, yeah. briefly for everybody listening, the theory behind it is that they're preemies, so that if they get sick, they could get they could go down the toilet really fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. No pun intended. No wow. That <laughs> was <Okay>. great. <laughs> but... Um, so they put them on antibiotics, they culture them up, mm-hmm. and then if the cultures come back negative, then they would stop the antibiotics. But sometimes it takes two to three days for the, all the cultures and stuff. So they get two to three days of antibiotics no matter what. Uh, and also because at 34 weeks or 33, you hadn't had your cultures for group B strep. Right. They didn't know that. This is, again, 
this isn't a very American thing to do. Mm-hmm. In, in Europe, it's a little done a little differently. They, they, they treat on risk factors. Preemie is one of the risk factors, but your babies are not that preemie. No. And their size-wise is pretty good. And, they, and I think their vital signs were, were fine. I don't know that their O2 sats were a problem. I mean, were they on oxygen? Were they on room air? Um, they were. Of course, they were. Of course being, having put on oxygen doesn't mean they actually needed it either. We right. don't really know that either. Exactly. Right. I think everything sort of started going downhill because of that idea that we had in our head versus the idea that the doctors had in their head. So they run by their protocols. And I thought, well, we're taking the babies home tomorrow. So, you know, what's the big deal? In my head, I thought, oh, well, they're going to watch them overnight and then we're going to take them home. And then they started saying things like, well, antibiotics for at least three days. And I go, well, three days, you know, and then it started snowballing from there. But we finally, because the doctors started putting so much pressure on us about, no, you really need to do this and started throwing words out like SIDS and this stuff. And now we're feeling like the worst parents in the world. Like, do we really not want our kids to be on antibiotics? I just, we didn't understand the whole you know, I mean, you guys are really well prepared, well educated parents, and yet you felt right browbeaten. Yeah. So okay, fine. Do the antibiotics. You know, like go for it. And then it, we just really did feel beat down those first couple of days. About we had no fight in us. Not that we wanted to fight them, but we still didn't understand why they're there. Like, is there something wrong with them? Do they have some sort of defect? Is there something showing? you know, that they really need to be here. And they just kept telling us, oh, well, we just need to monitor them because they're preemie. We just need to monitor them because they're preemie. And I go, well, okay, monitoring. So but Andy said it earlier, too. He said something about that I always say one size fits all type medicine. These guys, have, there's an algorithm that they use, all right? If, A, if this happens, they go down this path or this path. And, and there's almost no individualization of care. There's no thinking. And I'm not sure from what I... What I gathered from your story is that the communication skills were not very good. 100%. They, they didn't talk to you as equals. They didn't talk to you as parents. They told you, they, they, they talked to you as um, they know what's best for your baby, that only they are the ones watching out for your baby, that you can't possibly, I mean, it, it reminds me of the, of the Monty Python sketch in the delivery room where the woman says, I think the baby's coming. What should I do? And, the, and John Cleese says, nothing, dear. You're not qualified. Okay. <laughs> so, so this is sort of thing. You're not qualified, so we're going to tell you what to do. And if you don't want to do what we want to do, uh, we're going to continue to like browbeat you, as you said. And so that's wh- how we felt, especially because they kept wrote, and it's not their fault. I don't know. We've, they had four or five different doctors there throughout our stay. And every time we felt, oh, great, now we have to start all over again and talk to this doctor. But not at one point did one of the doctors sit down and say, this is what's going on with your children. We so they didn't even have a, they didn't have a conference where they had like you and your pediatrician, a social worker, and all, all in a room. Because I, I, a lot of NICUs do. I know at Children's Hospital they do that. No, not for us. Okay. Well, well, the the first pediatric doctor, when Linda just had given the birth, she came out and she said, she started talking with Rob, Rob and we had to ask her to come and talk to us. Like, what's going on? Why are they even in the NICU? She's, mm-hmm. she, her one size fits all thing was like, well, they're 33, six, so 34 weeks and they're going to probably be here for about one to three weeks. And I was like, how do you even know this? That that's needed. Their APGARs were good. Their breathing was good. Um, their healthy weight. If that's needed, please tell me why. Sure. But it's just a automatic, they're 34 weeks, they need to stay three weeks. Okay, this is, and it wasn't like, and I even told Linda this on the way uh, home, I was like, if, if she was just like, this is generally how this goes, and she explained it, such as the way Dr. Stu would probably explain it. She didn't do that. She was right off the bat, this is what's going to happen, whether you kind of like it or not. And if you want to take them, we're going to call child services. Child services. So you got, I mean, I, I, know, I know the answer to this mm-hmm. question, but I, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> so you got the, the uh, sledgehammer. Um, yeah, we got the... The insurance sledgehammer and the... And we the, got the, your kids are going to die SIDS if you take them out. That's one. We got, uh, well, just so you know, oh, because I came in and I said, well, just so you know, I'm very confused why they're here. We were planning on having a home birth 
And one of the nurses says, well, just so you know, if you try to take them out, we'll call child services on you. And didn't they give you the, the threat that if you take them out, your insurance isn't going to pay for it either? Yes. You told me that. I think yeah. you, you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Which, is a, which is a false claim, I think. I don't know that that's, that, that's true. We've done our research. It and it, it seems that it doesn't matter. The insurance company says no, still pay. But it, if, if a doctor who's, they're very intelligent people, if they're telling you that, uh, who's right or wrong? We can't get a firm answer from anybody really on that thing. But So, so in other words, in other words and you'll get into this now mm-hmm. because we're going to move down as the yeah, days yeah. go by. Um, you, you were essentially, your babies were being... Help. Held against their will. Correct. Against your will, actually. <laughs> against our right. will. Yeah. And against theirs, too. I feel, honestly, like I missed out on... So total, just we can go forward. Luke was in there for 13 days. Mads was in there for 26. I missed out on 26 days with my baby because they were monitoring him in the hospital. At one point, I had come into the hospital and a complete stranger was holding one of my children. And I lost it. Like, started crying why is that person holding my baby? And they said, well, he couldn't regulate his temperature, so we wanted to try, you know, kind of skin to skin. And I literally thought to myself, that's... They did skin to skin? Well, no, because they were covered in, you know, hazmat suits or whatever, but Mm -hmm. that's what they said. (laughs) They wanted, you know, body warmth, and I go, that's exactly why he should be home with us. So Luke was basically sitting in that little clear box for a week and it wasn't until Andy one night got really sort of annoyed with the nurses not with her but just the whole situation and started asking questions like why is he here there's no reason that he should be here and the parameters that they gave us was they have to show that they're gaining weight they have to be on room air and they have to which they were by the way weren't they yes and they have to show cues of feeding and so Luke had met all of those parameters, you know, days before, and we just did not understand why he was still there. Um, Mads was still having, you know, these quote-unquote issues that we can get into in a little bit, but the next day they let Luke go home. So now we have one twin at home, a toddler at home, and one baby still in the NICU, and we're driving, what, I don't know how far 25 miles. Yeah, 25 miles. Yeah. Every day we're going to the hospital two, three times a day, all trying to, you know, manage being new parents to a new... I mean, it was you just can't, so yeah, stressful. You can't... If it, with one baby in the NICU, you could spend all your time in the NICU. Right. right? But when you got one newborn at home... Yeah. And a toddler, but you got one newborn at home, and when, so... so Mads is sitting there by himself. Yes. yes. And that was so sad to me. Because it's harder where like we got to do take care of both kids at home and then, well, we got to go see Mads tonight. And then you start justifying, well, we have Luke here. We have to take care of him. Uh, can we go to Mads tomorrow? Because we're both tired and we've got to drive all the way out there. They're going to feed him. He's not going to be awake because they're... It's the bonding time with our twin boys was not the same as the bonding time with my daughter. No, and it, I knew it, it wouldn't be because there was two of them, but still, we didn't get to do... And I, and, I, and I asked you the question because you got to the point where you said something about if they have a an apneic spell or if they have if they don't breathe for uh, whatever it is. Like, and babies babies do have these periods where they stop breathing for mm-hmm. eight or ten seconds. It's, it's not an unusual thing to do. But if they do that, then what what was the rule? Right. So I think I, I can't remember what part of their you know jail sentence that we finally reached <laughs> out to you and Robin. Like we need help. We need. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. No one is listening to us. We keep asking questions like, why are they here? When can they come home? Uh, different dates are being thrown out, then no dates, then you know all this stuff. Every time you talk to a new nurse or a new doctor, it was something different, which was incredibly frustrating as well. And uh, you know, we, we reached out to our pediatrician. We told her what was going on, and she said, yeah, the NICU is a completely different world. And sh- her advice to us was, don't fight them. The more you fight them, the more defensive they get, and they will hold your babies hostage longer. She was saying, which is, also, an, aw- which is an awful thing to hear from a medical professional. Your pediatrician said right. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she you said, told me that. I she said, we told her, oh, he's having some Brady's, which the heart rate drops in the 80s or 90s <laughs> for a few seconds. She's like, oh, that's normal. It's like, wow, so good to hear somebody say that because I'm like thinking our kid is not gonna survive or something. So what we were doing was asking them parameters. We start. I started asking the doctors. Because we had to hunt them down. I felt like when the curtains were closed and we were feeding the babies, the doctor came in, we had to hunt 
that doctor down to talk to them. And they, if they knew that I was in there or, or Linda, they were like, okay, tippy toes, tippy toes, go over here. I'm going to go. So we had to listen. What are the parameters to get our child out of here? Why does he need to be here? If you can give me a good reason, I understand. And I want you to take care of him. If you cannot, please just tell me why. So they would come up with parameters. And that's what Linda was talking about. We had so many different doctors. We had to go through these different parameters. And it seems like they came up with new ones every time we asked them. So the main things were the apnea, the Brady, the um, the feeding, and the... But he was gaining but weight. He was gaining yeah. weight. They were both were at seven pounds. <laughs> and, and you were pumping. Yeah. I, I mean, I was lucky enough to still be producing milk. I, I mean, I saw some of the other moms there that their babies had been in there so long they couldn't produce. So they had no choice but to use formula, which is fine. But So the, so the parameters are they need to gain weight. They need yep. to be on room air. Mm-hmm. And, and show cues of feeding, which I, that one, I go, listen, I also have an alarm clock. So if you tell me this kid needs to feed every three hours, well, guess what? We set an you alarm wake him up and, and feed we him. feed him. And, and, the, and again, based on your story, they make it sound like you are completely incompetent. Oh, 100%. That you, you know, a baby that's on your chest mm-hmm. is probably not going to have an apneic spell. All right. It's far more likely to have an apneic spell when it's laying in a little box. Or in a little cubic, in a little cubicle, or whatever it is. Yeah. So it's not going to have problems with its temperature. It's not going to have problems with its breathing. You know, and and even if you okay, so they're worried about apnea. So you buy you, you buy an apnea monitor. You rent an apnea monitor and you have it in your home. Right. And you know what happens when he has these spells? Nothing. They don't do anything. No, they, they just, no intervention. They just watch him. They just watch. And then he and he stops. And then he stops. Right. And these spells last. And you then know, you got then you got three more days or seven. Yeah. Days, whatever it, you said. Seven, yeah. Exactly. Nine, so if he had one that required you know gentle stimulation, which was they tickle his feet, then that holds him seven more days. If he has one that he self corrects, they hold him forty eight hours. You know, so, if they took a term baby and put it in the NICU. There'd be times where it has apneic spells and they would have to keep that baby seven more days. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, uh, I mean, we, we, those alarms, I still like have nightmares about them going <laughs> off and we would get so paranoid. Like we wouldn't, we would go visit and then we didn't want to hold them just in case, you know, sometimes you held them incorrectly and it would throw off one of the monitors and the monitor would go off and the nurses are looking. And finally I got to the point like that wasn't a thing, you know, that, that was me. That was me who did that. That wasn't him, you know, because now we started to learn how to play the game because it did. It seemed like a game. And finally, towards the end, like Andy couldn't even go in. He's like, I'm just I can't. I'm going to get into it with these people. You just go see him. So finally, towards the end of Mad's stay, one of the nurses. Before that, though, the reason I wouldn't go. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. (laughs) So there was a doctor at St. John's. And I this is the last time that I kind of was getting really perturbed. Like, what do we need to do? He was very nice and told us whatever. Maz was getting ready to be released on Tuesday morning mm-hmm. if everything was good. He hadn't had any episodes, quote unquote, for, you know, four days, whatever. That morning, I, we're getting ready to go. I just, you know, I'm going to call just to make sure. I call. The charge nurse says, oh, let me, ha- let me hand you over to the doctor. I'm like, mother effer, I know exactly <laughs> what's going to happen here. And it's the same doctor. And we were cool, but I, I challenged him and asked him questions. And so he said... Oh, um, I'm sorry. He had an event last night. We're going to have to hold him 48 more hours. Um, it was an uh, event, blah, blah, blah. blah. I, I did my clinical research. This He said clinical trial research this morning or something, and I just deem it necessary for him to stay two more days. And I was like, just couldn't say anything. I said, and I told him at that point, I said, well, I won't even say what I said at that point, but I also said, uh, well, you know, as long as you got him there, you might as well teach him how to walk and talk, right? He's like, hey, we got a nursery. We got you covered, buddy. And then we hung up on each other. I was like, you are s- such a professional. <laughs> I don't have to be a professional because I'm paying you guys. But you don't have to egg me on a little bit. That no, was no, just, no, yeah. It was really you're, bad. You're, you're absolutely right. I can't believe he said that. No, it was bad. And then you also told me that you felt that, that there was a, uh, a cash register uh, effect going on here. Yes. Yeah, so this hospital happens to be building a brand new NICU wing uh, with private in-suites so that they're going to have like a private nurse per room and so the babies and the parents can stay together i'm sure at a really reasonable which seems cost. like a nice thing right it, it, well it's, yeah. it's a great idea right right mm-hmm. but i can't help but think my kids 13 and 26 day stint in there is helping fund this because we're going to name the wing after mads and luke right <laughs> right they better the no no wing. way <laughs> no I, I i i don't doubt it because nicus are are you know, when hospitals put in NICUs, they suddenly start needing NICUs. It's like right. when we bought it, 
you know, before we bought an ultrasound machine in, in, in a medical practice, um, we didn't really need one. And then we get one, and then all of a sudden, everybody needs an ultrasound. Uh-huh. Mm. And it's the same sort of thing. And I, I, I don't doubt you for a second that, that um, there's an incentive, probably. And you also said the census was low initially when you were there. Yes. So day one, we were there. There were maybe four babies in there. And then towards the middle of our stay, there were only two babies, our babies. Yeah, there's probably, what, 10, 12, 15 beds in there? 15 beds. 15 so beds. I remember thinking, well... No babies means no nurses. No nurses means no money. You know, it just all dollar signs just kept flashing before my head. And that, again, you can't. I mean, we, there's no way to prove something like that. But right. ultimately, you know, uh, there these guys that run these NICUs, these doctors, they're they're paid based on production and that of sort course. of thing. And so that's why a lot of hospitals, well, they have policies in some hospitals that every baby born by cesarean section needs to go to the NICU for four hours. All right, every single one, as opposed to going to the recovery room with the mother uh, wow. and spraying skin to skin. Now those things are changing, and they're changing, they're gradually changing. But it's a sad state of affairs to believe that we live in an era now where the the, the doctors and nurses are so either lit, fear of uh, the fear of litigation or a fear of being wrong or something has now taken over, so that that they can't believe that parents are actually going to want to care and take care of their children, that they can't, that you couldn't do some of these things for your babies at home. No, I, and I definitely think that some of the, ner- everybody was really nice, but some of the nurses were really more on our side to like, let's get these kids out of here. They're fine. You know, when Mads was held another 48 hours and I walked in, I had a couple of the nurses look at me like, we don't know why he's still here. And one of them finally started, you know, whispering things to me like, you need to start asking questions. You need to ask how long was the episode last night? Ask for the, you know, that algorithm you were talking about. They actually have a sheet. So I I, I said, I want to see that. I want to see what, you know, warrants an episode. His episode was a two second episode. Two seconds. That's him probably. How do you have, I I don't breathe for two seconds sometimes. Well, that's what we don't understand. I mean, he was probably just holding his breath because he had a poop So eventually they probably said, we we better discharge these babies before they figure us out. Well, we also started (laughs) calling our insurance too because we said, listen, if we can't, us asking questions and us showing discontent and us asking every two days, like, why are they here? We want them home. Isn't working. Maybe insurance pressuring them will. So I called my insurance. We called their hospital billing, telling them things like, we don't want our kids there. We never wanted them there. We never authorized them there. And, uh, you know, maybe that way they will you know, put some pressure. And I think they did eventually get a call from our insurance, but by this point, we had already asked so many questions that I think they were like, okay, it, it, the jig is up. Like, let's get this guy out of here. So after 26 days, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I got a picture on my cell phone uh-huh. that shows Matt's in a car seat. <laughs> says, caption, I'm free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so now you, you finally got them home. But it is, it is a very much of a nightmare story yeah. that, that you felt helpless. You felt belittled. You felt, what was the other word I used? Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yes. All whatever. Of those whatever. Things. All those words. That. That. Um, and yeah. Were you shame, disem- shame. You were shamed. Yeah. Disempowered. Mm-hmm. All the things that that that. Whether they whether they're right or wrong, there's no reason to make you mm-hmm. feel that right. way. There's no reason to treat you that way. There's no reason. Um, again, it's just communication. Many of those things may have very well have been indicated. If they would have communicated to you like a human being, to another human being, then. You, you you wouldn't, but I just I remember Andy talking to you and 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 you telling me how you know you, uh, he's gonna he's gonna hit somebody. Yeah, I'm like he's gonna, he's gonna, gonna lose it. On it would be irresponsible for me to think that I know more than the doctors do or that you do, Doctor Stu, about what my baby needs. But like you said, the communication for it. I'm not gonna try. I want my baby out because I want to hold him. No, if he needs something, I'm not gonna go against years of research and uh, education to. To just try and hold my baby at home. Now, if he needs something, I get it. But the way they were doing it and the fact that they weren't really doing anything, they said our babies were fine. They just want to monitor them. I was like, <laughs> okay, well. Yeah, monitor them at a cost of what, $5,000 a day, maybe? I don't know. Probably we'll more. more. Oh, probably, I'm sure pro- it is more because it's private more. insurance. So, how is it having them home now? It's how are great. they doing? How are they doing? We're like, they're right, what? I mean, they're, they're seven and a half. Three months old? They're, they're two, almost two months. Actually, well, no, they're only six August, weeks. September. <laughs> 
I don't even know oh, yeah, what yeah, is. Yeah, right. They're only yeah. about six, seven but weeks they're old. Right. gaining weight like crazy. And yeah, one of them's a little sleepy eater. And guess what? We wake him up and he eats. <laughs> we want to send him back to the NICU between 12 and 6 a.m. every day. <laughs> No, not they're not it. bad at all. <laughs> you guys, you guys, it's been great having you on, and and, and I, I'm just thrilled that you were able to actually get away from three little babies at your house and spend well, we're and spend an, my hour, mom and spend an in hour our, with us. Yeah, in our home. and uh, just for just for a second, I want to I want someone else to say hello to you. So say hello. Hello, bliss. bliss. Hi, guys. Hi. I'm so sorry, I'm late. It's okay. Really forward to hearing your story why well, can't wait to hear about Did your you birth tell him i call it baby jail yeah well it, <laughs> yeah baby jail baby for jail. sure <laughs> um i was at a birth and i just rolled up an hour hour late so but Stu told me to come in because you guys would want to say hi yeah, yeah absolutely hi. hello and our listeners want to hear your voice they, yeah they, she has they, a very they, nice they, voice they miss you oh they they totally miss you <laughs> yeah so anyway i wanted to again y- y- your story is something that that as a practitioner now for 37 years, I've seen this happen over and over and over again. But you guys just have a way of telling the story <laughs> that makes it a very valuable thing. This is, again, we, we're, we're saying that necessary treatments and NICUs save lives. But, 100%. but it's, about, it's about humanity. It's about, it's about communication. If they, if they need to keep your babies there, then, then you know the idea of having a room where you can stay. And even if, Luke's, if Luke was discharged, you could have stayed with Luke. Right. And Mads, and you could have stayed there until mm-hmm. they were ready to go home, and you could have, had, and they probably would have been out of there a week or two earlier, even with their own silly protocols. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks so, for all your help. Yeah. This well, you're welcome, guys. Way. And uh, you know what? I don't know if you're going to do it again, but if you do it again, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> have another story to tell. <laughs> anyway, everybody, thank you for listening. We know that you have lots of choices when you drive in your car or you sit at home listening to podcasts. We're really thrilled that you listen to ours. This has been podcast number one fifty seven, and we want to wish you all a very safe. And pleasant. Uh, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Thanks, Dr. Stu. Thank you, Lynn. Andrew. Thank you, Linda. Bye-bye.